Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Stranger to us, but maybe you're new here tonight. I know we got some visitors. We appreciate you being with us. Brother Stewart is evangelist out of Victory Baptist Church in Weatherford. He's also the president of the well, of the Norris Ball Baptist Seminary, and he is our concordance out there. He keeps all the th- things in his head. I always tell the students out there at the seminary, uh, they're like, well, Brother Wiggins, what does this mean? I said, I don't know. Go ask Brother Stewart. Uh, and I love having him out there, and what a, what a great blessing he is. Brother Stewart, you come tonight. Amen. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I want those abbreviated concordances. <laughs> Don't have much up there. But anyway, Genesis chapter 8 for just a few moments. Kind of pick up where we left off and move to where we want to go tonight. And uh, we're going to be talking about what's going on in our world tonight. <clears throat> it is apparently part of a big picture that's taking place in the near future. And uh, when you're studying Bible prophecy that's not been fulfilled yet, You can't be real exact about what is going on and how it's going to play out because we just don't have all the pieces in front of us to put together. The first coming, the Jews knew something was coming, those the remnant, but they were sorting things out. You and I can look back and see exactly how it was fulfilled, but we can definitely get the big picture. And there are a lot of indications you got your little brochure there with you tonight. If you'll open it up for just a second and look inside here, you've seen this uh, chart, this graphic before. We'll touch on that. <coughs> Excuse me. Shadows arising from the skyscraper events of the tribulation period. I've talked about that a little bit in anticipation of tonight. We'll peek at that, just kind of set the stage. But go to Genesis chapter 8. And uh, we didn't get to a verse I want to get to, again, to show you how significant Noah is, that he's such an example to us. If these passages weren't in the Bible, I would not have to prove to you, after those four chapters, that he's an important figure. But when God goes back and refers to him, as we looked at, it really sets it off. And look at the first few verses again of Genesis 8. The flood event is ending. In verses 1 through 3, God uses five different words. Five different words to emphasize the waters are being shut down. Those waters picture God's wrath. And God sent the flood and now God is shutting it down. It illustrates that God is, he's he's finished, he's satisfied. The ark comes to rest in verse 4. Those events, those details are not by accident. Romans 15 verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, uh, verse 4, verse 11, etc. And the ark comes to rest, we definitely see uh, the resurrection in view here, and then uh, Noah stepping out of the ark in a few days. Look at verse 20. He builds an altar unto the Lord. He probably very likely built altars before. We have the altar that God built in the Garden of Eden. We have Abel offering up a, a sacrifice. And remember, Noah took clean animals, seven sets of clean animals for food and for sacrifice. And this would have been a large altar. And uh, there's a lot I could say about that. I'm not really here to preach on Noah's flood so much, but we don't know exactly Mount Ararat's location. We, we have a pretty good idea, but there's some other views about where it could or could not be. 
It says the mountains of Ararat. But there are some remnants of a very large altar over there by little and greater Ararat, two mountains there. And it's got a lot of very ancient writing on it. Just a lot of interesting stuff if you want to give some time to looking at this thing. But notice in verse 20, Noah built an altar. This is after the flood. Think how much the ark meant to him going into the ark during the flood. And then afterwards, as you look back and realize the tremendous deliverance he had just experienced, and now he builds this altar with a deeper, greater appreciation. I'm here tonight. You're here tonight. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, my salvation is more impacting to me tonight than it was 10 years ago. It's more impacting than it was 20 years ago. It's more impacting than it was 40-some years ago when I came down to prepare for the ministry. You come back to the gospel repeatedly for all kinds of reasons. I love to tell the story. And the songwriter goes on to say it's more special. It means more to me every time I hear it. If you get in the Bible and let God do that work for you, He will do it. And it becomes more and more personal. It becomes more and more internalized. It becomes more and more of an influence on our life. It wasn't just to get us out of hell. It was meant to do so many things for us. So here he is. He's been saved quite a while. And he came through this flood event. And he builds this altar. Boy, how deep his, his feelings must have been and his appreciation, his gratitude. By the way, remember what Paul said? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies, plural, not just God's attribute of mercy, but God's exercise of that attribute. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. What's the motivation? Just gratitude, just appreciation. Think how Noah must have felt. And think how he renewed his mind as that verse goes on and on to say. Remember, he had no Bible, so God is speaking through men of God of his time, and now after the flood, he, he's it. He's it. It's him and his three boys and their, their wives, okay? There's eight of them. And then you go on here, and you know that there's this rainbow. Look at verse 12. This is an arrowless bow. It doesn't say rainbow. It says bow, but it was one rainbow, and it's going this way instead of this way. I could tell you some stories about some of my experiences with bows and arrows. I made bows and arrows growing up. Now the mulberry trees, because you could strip the, I wouldn't call it bark, you could, you could strip the stuff off of it real quick, and uh, you could make a bow real quick, and you could shoot it, <coughs> sort of, and the birds would laugh at you if they flew away. But anyway, <laughs> then later on I got a chance to do some real bow and arrow shooting, and I didn't think it was that much fun. We had a couple of guys in our church years ago in Arlington, they got the real high-powered bow, the one with the pulleys and everything. And they showed me, you know, you don't sit there and like this and whatever. You learn to let the bow do the work and so forth, and your fingers get sore and everything else. All right? This is God showing him, I've shot all my arrows. I am no longer going to flood the earth universally. The next time it's going to be by fire. We'll touch on that tonight. If you go to Psalm 18, you go to several Psalms, right with the flood event, Psalm 18, God likens lightning bolts to arrows. That he shot out. It's just amazing. We touched on that. And I know there's a lot of things I'm just throwing at you because some of it will stick with you, and some will stick with you, and some will stick with you, and some will stick with you. Later on, you'll be reading that and you'll stop and you go, you know, I'm going to really study that. I'm going to go to the Psalms and look how God compares his wrath to arrows being shot out, lightning bolts. That's right out of the Bible. So here we are. We have an ark, we have an altar, and we have a bow without arrows. Three wonderful gospel pictures. 
And Noah looks at that rainbow and he sees something that we've never seen before. He's never seen before. Something that was new apparently. So it's very meaningful. And so tonight I'd like you to look at verse number 9 of Isaiah 54. And just wanted to pull that in. If you were not able to be here, if you weren't here last night, uh, if you have trouble sleeping tonight, you want to, maybe want to go back and listen to last night's sermon. It'll put you to sleep. But anyway, except when I yell. But anyway, you go back and get some of these things that I'm just referring back to. On the front here, I give you some more information about how God warned and warned and warned about the flood before it came. The name A. Adam, Abel, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, they apparently all work out into a sentence. Amazing. We can't be 100% dogmatic about it, but you can read about that. It's another way that God was saying this uh, flood was coming. It's kind of the whole work of God down through time. At the bottom, it gives more detail about those guys' ministry and how they warned the world. All right? Look at Isaiah 54. Let me say to you as a church tonight, appreciation, gratitude, thanksgiving for all your years of undergirding, do you hear what I said? Not just supporting, undergirding the seminary. We're in our 38th year. A lot of you people through previous church involvements have been plugged into that school for 38 years. Brother Reed, you and your wife and your family have invested wonderfully. You and the others sitting there have invested wonderfully. Brother Day, etc. you guys have invested wonderfully in the cause of getting preachers and their wives trained. And I'm glad that you guys are benefiting from the fruit of your investment there with Brother Wiggins and Brother Crawford and others that we could cite. And the school, by the grace of God, is doing as good as it's ever done, as well as it's ever done, I should probably say. And we got some exciting things in front of us. We have a piece of property worth over $5 million. And we're looking at several options. Uh, we're letting the Lord lead us. It's exciting. But I also just commend you, because you have stood in the gap several times. Humanly speaking, there were times that Heritage stood in the gap and kept things going. And so again, I thank you and I commend you for that. And we certainly appreciate that. And we know we do it all for the Lord. But God uses people, He uses churches. And this is, this is a, God has used this church wonderfully. And there's no way, unless you've been there since day one, that you can adequately express to the students coming in all that's gone in to make it possible. So again, I thank you and I commend you for it. Look at verse number 7. Let's just read up to it, verse 7. We're trying to show you how significant Noah was even to God. All right, in a special way. He says in verse 7, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, talking to Israel. But with great mercies will I gather thee. I'm going to pull you back in the land. I'm going to bless you because they're going to go into captivity. He's prophesying about their captivity. And they're going to be scattered around the world. Hey, by the way, in our lifetime, they've come back to the land. They're now a sovereign nation. And we actually saw Jerusalem recognized as the capital on the 70th anniversary to the day when they became a nation again. That is prophetically extremely significant. And you got to see that. Most people didn't even realize how significant that was. 
Just go home and read Zechariah 12 through 14. It'll, it'll kind of show you how significant that was. You got to see that. And he's looking forward the, toward the future when he no longer chastens them and he brings them back into being his primary instrument. We're in the church age. We don't know how much longer we have. We know we're coming down to the end of it. Soon, Israel's going to be out in the front. She's stealing the headlines all the time. When was the last time you saw churches in the headlines? But you see Israel in the headlines all the time. The church age is about to shut down, folks. It's going to end with the rapture. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But look at verse number 9. What a cross-reference. The best commentary of the Bible is the Bible. We looked at Genesis 8, 1 through 3, the five different ways God showed you that His wrath was over. The water stopped. The word assuage is so significant. If you want to do a little word study, study that word assuage and the word propitiation. Look at verse 9. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. <clears throat> now I'm disciplined because I was pushing 810 last night. And this verse was screaming for attention. And I promised this verse I'd save it for tonight. I don't have time for it tonight, but I'm making room for it tonight because I just can't stand to pass it up because it proves the context I was giving you the other day, yesterday. For, as this, is the, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah, chapter 9 of Genesis, should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be what? Wroth. That proves the waters pictured his wrath right there. They pictured the wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ, the greater ark. With thee, nor rebuke thee. And on and on it goes. Just an amazing passage. All right. Go ahead, and because I did that, we'll save Hebrews eleven seven till the end. Go to Matthew chapter 24. This is where Jesus reaches back to the days of Noah reaches all the way back and begins to talk about what's to come. Look at verse number 36, Matthew 24. Let's pray. Father, we come one more time and ask that you will bless this time and use it according to your will and help me to say what you want me to say and help me to leave out what I need to leave out. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 36. Jesus talking. <clears throat> Did I mention Noah? But of that day, talking about the second coming, not the rapture. Get your little chart ready here. Open it up and get this picture of downtown Chicago, I believe. I've used three or four. I had Dallas, but this is a better picture of the, of the shadows. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Now, I, I think this is very likely what happened, and I think that we just can study history and we can kind of study the Bible, but it's, it's almost like a snowball effect. I think when God came to Noah 120 years before the flood actually came, Noah was 480 years old, and I had him blowing out his 600th birthday cake Sunday, but that, I, I was just so full of thoughts I lost my place. It would have been his 480th birthday. So it wouldn't have been as hard to blow out 480 candles as it would have been 600, okay? So, <laughs> had a birthday on the ark. They were in that ark more than a year. But anyway, that 480 years of age, things were probably pretty tough. But they just all of a sudden just got worse and worse, increasingly worse. And they begin to accelerate. When you read the first few verses of chapter 6, there is obviously some very diabolical very strong satanic things going on and things begin to get really bad really fast and so i think as we got closer and closer to the actual flood event and the ark was wrapping up getting it ready i think he began to feel more and more and more of the heat but the people got used to it they got used to that guy across the way building the ark they got used to hearing about this coming storm that's going to come and they begin to just say yeah yeah we've heard that before you say, really? Yeah, we're going to be in 2 Peter in a few minutes, and that's what 2 Peter says. Guess where we are today? We were just talking a few minutes ago back there with the sound people back there, and, and uh, I saw the other day in the headlines, radical Christians. Radical Christians are saying that this is about the coming, the second coming of Christ. Can I tell you what radical Christians are? People who say that God's done with Israel and they've been set aside forever. That's radical, folks. If you don't know your Bible like you should, God's not done with Israel. It's obvious. You know, they, they, they refer to some people being radical. Let's redefine what radical is. If you go contrary to the Bible, if you don't stay in the confines of what God says with Genesis and Revelation, who's the radical? God's not a radical. Amen? They thought Jesus was a radical. Some people say, you know, Jesus was a radical. And they think, yeah, he's a, he wasn't a radical. They were radical. Jesus said, you all don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. You've taken the tradition of man and you've set them up and raised them above the word of God. Christ wasn't a radical. They were so far off. They were so far off the reference point. They were the ones that were radical. But you see, when you're a radical and you don't know it, you think they're radical. Okay, now, are there people that are radical in their thinking in Christianity? Yes, there is. And yes, you can go all kinds of directions in the name of Christianity and so forth. But what I want to say to you is, if we'll stick with what the scriptures are saying and take them for what they're supposed to be interpreted as, by the way, it is the Word of God, amen? The more you understand the Word of God, the less you're a radical. Okay? God is the middle C note, amen? God's middle C. God is who we tune to, amen? So the better we understand it, the more we're on track. Radical is if I go over there and play the piano. If I go over there and say, what do you want to hear? And you say, I want to hear one of Beethoven's or Bach's greatest pieces. Oh, then I'll go to the organ and play something for Bach. It would come out radical. Okay? I can usually hit some of the notes of Mary Had a Little Lamb. I can hit an F chord very simple F chord, if I really tried to play the piano, that would be radical because the chord structure would not be right. Am I making sense? If we're in tune with this, we're not radical, amen? 
And we got to be careful that we don't try to make the Bible fit the headlines. But it is worth noting, as we'll see, about what's happening right now over in Eurasia. All right? Go to Luke. Go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke says uh, some things, some extra detail here that I think is also worthy to look at. You say, well, what do you mean eating and, and, uh, and giving in marriage and being married? What's, what's that say? I mean, haven't people always been eating and haven't people always been having marriage? Yes, they have. But if you'll get the gist of what's being said, there's a clear point. I kind of knocked on the door of it. I just didn't open it yet. Let's open that door. Look at Luke 17. Your little pamphlet here cites this passage. And if you read what's in blue, you kind of get it, what we're saying and what Jesus is saying. Look at Luke 17, verse 26 through 30. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Let me say again, that's not talking about the rapture. If the rapture happened tonight, I didn't say it was going to happen tonight. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't, I don't propose to give dates. I think it's very close. You say, what's very close? Close. It's a relative term. Days, weeks, months, years. You say, what are you talking about? You know the Bible says the coming of Christ is imminent. You know what that means? We don't know when it's going to be. God did not give us such clear details that since Christ resurrected, Christians have properly thought that he could come at any time. That's how God wants us to live. God wants us to live as though Jesus could come today. In fact, Martin Luther said we ought to live as though Jesus died yesterday, rose again from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow. By the way, if you knew he was coming back tomorrow, would that affect you any? Okay, that's the concept, okay? Now, yeah, we have a real life to live, and we don't want to get radical. Okay? But please understand, you don't have a rapture, and the next day everything is all set up. You've gone to high school orchestrations or high school plays. Maybe you've gone to something even bigger and more official, and you know the curtain's down. You hear noise behind the curtain, and you hear instruments being tuned up, and all of a sudden the lights dim, and this happens, that happens, and you know, okay, the curtain's going up. You know something's coming. Folks, there's a lot of noise being made. The book of Revelation is, it's like when I preach on Revelation and I do a series of Revelation with all the charts and diagrams and the handouts and so forth, the cover's this big, huge curtain. It's a big, huge curtain because at the rapture, the curtain goes up and you hear what all that noise was behind there. Okay? And this little graphic here, what it's saying is, if I was on that beach, okay, I, I have actually been there. I have a sister living in Chicago. When I was 15 years, I went up to Chicago and tried to fix a few things while I was there. And now look what's happened. But anyway, I went to Chicago to visit my sister. And I remember actually seeing, you know, maybe not that exact spot. But at a certain time of the day, when the sun is shining, you could stand here on this beach. You would not actually be in the skyscrapers. You would not technically be in the city. But the skyscrapers are casting shadows on you. If we were to leave tomorrow morning, let us see, the sun rises in the east, okay? So, if the sun came up over here and got to a certain point, before you got into Dallas, you would have skyscraper shadows on you. That's where we are. 
That's where we are. Israel is back in the land. That is the skyscraper. That is the skyscraper. The Jews are back in the land. And they're holding on for dear life. And they are going to make an agreement. Not all of them. It says many. There's an element that will know they should not make a contract with this guy. But they're going to make a contract with what's going to become ultimately known as the Antichrist. And they're going to sign a false peace treaty. And it's going to look pretty good for three and a half years. Because the world's going to be in chaos after the rapture. And somebody's got to calm it down. Look at the present leadership we have around the world. Doesn't it just bolster you with great confidence? Everything's okay. It doesn't. It shows you that man can handle it without God. This is my Father's world. And though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet, amen? God's got a program. He's carrying it out. He just wants you to know, amen? If God could take care of the flood event, he could take care of anything else, all right? But we're seeing shadows, so to speak. Don't, don't take this super literal. I'm trying to give you an illustration. We know enough. Jesus gave us these things so we would know the season, okay? We can't be super specific because we, we got this jigsaw puzzle. And if you've ever put a jigsaw puzzle together, I'm talking about a real jigsaw puzzle, not the ones the kids do, okay? You know, the ones they do, they, you know, it's whatever. I'm talking about a thousand pieces. I told you I did one recently, and all the pieces were shaped the same. Not exactly, but they had the two nod, nodules on this end and the receivers on the side. I didn't know until I forgot. It was a, I love the Pony Express. I love the Pony Express story. It's a wonderful picture of a Pony Express guy riding the way I would ride a horse if I could. I mean, going across there, I mean, is this something else? And, and I got that out. I always put a puzzle together during the holidays. It's a way of kind of resting my brain, okay? I just kind of, my wife will tell you, I spread it out there, and I'll work on it for an hour, and I'll come back. And I swear, I, I tell you, those pieces are missing. I get down to a certain point, and I'm thinking, these aren't the right shades. And then when I go ahead, and what it, you know what you did is you get down to like 40 or 50 pieces, so you just start trying every piece, especially if the shape the same. Even if you don't think it goes, because that that's not going to go, but I said I try every piece, and it goes. You go, what? What's, what? Let me look at that. You take your glasses off so you can see, because these are for seeing far away. I see close up fine without these. I look at it and I say, wow, it did work. We can't put all the pieces together, but we're doing better today than we did about 25 or 30 years ago, amen? Things are setting up. The technology is there to have the Antichrist and the false prophet doing what Revelation says they're going to do. If you don't have the mark of the beast, you won't buy or eat. People are already getting stuff put in their bodies for that very reason. It's amazing what's happening. He said, why hasn't it happened yet? The Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And the Noahs of today are preaching and, and trying to get people to understand it's coming. It's coming, okay? So look what he says here. Look what it says. Look at verse number 26. They did eat and drink and married wives. They were given to marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat and drank. They bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone of heaven and destroyed them all. What's he saying here? Here's what I've been trying to encourage you with all week. They were preoccupied with the here and now. They were preoccupied with the horizontal. They were preoccupied with the outward. 
and they were not giving due thought about eternity. We're all on our way to eternity. Every person will stand before God someday, saved or unsaved. The great, great white throne judgment in Revelation 19 is horrific. If you're not saved, you will stand before God in a resurrected body that cannot be destroyed, and it will burn forever in hell. No need for that. Jesus took it for you. But we are preoccupied with what's not going to matter tomorrow. When all of life is passed, whether by death or resurrection, rapture, only what's done for Christ will last. I was these young people's age, and my youth director kept telling us that. Kept telling us that. I graduated from high school. I went off to junior college. It was like grade 13. A lot of people I went to school with. And I thought, what am I doing here? This is, I, thought I, I thought I graduated. What am I doing here? And I didn't sense the call to preach yet, but as I stood at the crossroads thinking, you know, it's time for me to move out and kind of get on my own, and I was building houses as just a laborer. I wasn't, anybody could run a company, and I just, whatever. And I started thinking, when all of life has passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And that just started really getting inside of me, and I was dating that girl sitting back over there, and right here, <laughs> she moves around on me. This one right here. This one. Okay. <laughs> I had her over there with the coxes, but she's over here. Okay. <laughs> I was married to her for a long time. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, and God began to get hold of my life, and I thought, I'm going to go off to Bible college, and uh, I'm just going to go there for a year because I want to learn some Bible and just kind of sort some things out because I was getting, I had a great youth director getting more and more interested, a great pastor. And uh, by the time I graduated, by the time I'd already graduated, by the time May stuff came around, I began to sense a call to preach. I asked the youth director, how do you know you're called to preach? I asked the pastor, how do you know you're called to preach? And I thought, that's it? That's how you know? That's, that's what's happened to me. I came off to Bible school, wow, 44 years ago, when all of life has passed, only was done for Christ. I have no regrets. Zero. I wish I could have done more than I have, but I went the right direction. And we need Christian businessmen and Christian women, Christian homes, good solid churches, but we need more preachers. Now. I mean, not right now. We have churches. I get calls at the seminary constantly. They've contacted Heartland, West Coast, other schools. They contact us. We need preachers. We need pastors. We need youth directors. We need, we don't have them. We can't we haven't got enough. We got churches right now. I preach in churches off and on there waiting for a pastor to come. Go in there and try to encourage them. They have preachers come in and preach to keep things together. We need preachers right now. If there's any desire, if you're open, if you would just consider it, if you want to just come out there for a semester and just taste the water and see what it, what it, what it tastes like, see what it feels like. I encourage you to do it. It's not going to hurt you to have one year of Bible school. And I, will, I don't say this in the wrong way, but I don't know any school that has the first year that we have. You will get a handle on the Bible like you can't imagine if you're open to it. If you're 30 years of age and you thought maybe you were called to preach at one time or you've been thinking about it, we got people out there, Brother Cox will tell you, we got a student out there, I think he's older than anybody on the faculty. 
Fred, I think he is. Old drill sergeant. Mine's good. Boy, he preached a great message the other day at our, at our Christmas fellowship. Kind of blew me away. I said, wow, maybe I ought to be a drill sergeant. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I'm so easy going out to school. I'm just, anyway. But anyway, I, I'm telling you, you don't ever know. It's never too late if God's called you. Amen. We got them all ages out there. Amen. Give us some thought. We need help. We need more preachers. They were preoccupied with what really is going to matter. You know what Noah got preoccupied with? This one thing I do, I'm going to build that ark to the saving of my family. You know what you should be saying? I'm going to build a church. I'm going to be a church member that can be counted on like you cannot imagine. I'm going to pray for my church. I'm going to support my church. I'm going to be there, and I'm going to do what I can. Amen? And I'm going to be reliable. I'm going to be a low-maintenance member. Amen? This community needs this church. And it needs for it to be a spirit-filled house. When they leave here, they need to go and say, wow, God's in that place. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, read it. 22, 23, 24, 25, read it. Paul talked about coming to church and you leave going, man, God's in that place. Amen. Am I right? Wouldn't it be great if every unsaved person that walked in those doors got saved before they left? Or in a visit in the home that week? Wouldn't that be great? Well, if we saw hell for 30 seconds, we couldn't think of anything else. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're good people. And, there's, and listen, take care of your family is a priority, amen? But we've all got things that we're doing that really are a waste of time. Everybody needs a little hobby. Everybody needs a little diversion. But are you doing all that you can do? Dad, are you a modern-day Noah? You know, Noah had grandkids. I read about him. I'm one of his grandkids, a little, little ways down the line. He's a pretty good grandfather, isn't he? How many think Noah's a pretty good grandfather? He's all of our grandfathers. Those three boys repopulated the earth. Man, I got another passage. We don't have time for it. Okay, now get your little sheet here and look at this. I want to go somewhere. We're going to go to Ezekiel 38 in just a minute. All right, look at here. What are some of these shadows? Remember Noah said, it was said about Noah, by faith Noah did what? He prepared an ark. Why? Because he heard about things not seen as yet. And he moved with fear and prepared an ark. We have been told about things not seen as yet. And you know what's something? What's something? We're starting to see them. What are they? The reemergence of Israel as a sovereign nation. That's a shadow. That's a skyscraper event. Restoration of the Hebrew language. You know the Hebrew language is about dead 140 years ago? They had gotten so scattered... It was about dead. In the early 1900s, it started reviving, and it's very strong today. Muscle talk. All right. Right of Israel's existence increasingly challenged. Return of ancient Middle Eastern nations to prominence that are cited in Bible prophecy. We'll see a few of those in a minute. Realization of technology to affect a society described in the tribulation period. What do you think people thought when they read that 100 years ago? An image, an image that the Antichrist puts in the most holy place of that rebuilt false temple that can speak. We know what that would be like today. If it's mechanical, if it's electronic, it may be so diabolical, it may be some kind of demonic power. The devil's going to have power during the tribulation period that God's never allowed him to exercise. It's going to get so bad in the seven-year tribulation period that even the elect would be deceived, the Bible says. You don't want to be here for that. 
You take right now, $4 gas is a big deal, and it was. I remember filling my vehicle up for about 40 bucks. It was more than 40 bucks tonight. And folks, that's nothing about what could come. Relativism, moral and philosophical. In other words, there's no right or wrong. You have your own belief system. Whatever you think's right, that's what's right for you. And look what it's doing to our nation. We are so, we're, we are like dizzy people. Everybody's dizzy and they're just going all kinds of directions. Somebody says, are you dizzy? No, what's wrong with you? You're the one that's dizzy. People are just thinking weird thoughts, doing stupid things that will destroy a society. Say, well, they want to break it down and make it up again. What are you going to make it back up with? You can't believe what some of these people are believing in having any kind of a society. It'll be like a jungle. Oh, it already is. All right. Rise of the spirit of Antichrist. When I was in eighth grade, we were in chorus class one day, and the teacher brought in this music, and it was called Jesus Christ. I hate to say this. I got to pause because I don't want to connect it with him. Superstar. And it was blasphemous to the wall. And she said, now, you don't have to sing this if you want. You know why she said that? Because it was religious. And they couldn't force you to do something religious. Well, I didn't want to sing because it was religious. I didn't want to sing because it was blasphemous. I never listened, but I heard it. Da, 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 da. Oh, I couldn't believe that. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. The hatred for Jesus Christ. The hatred for the biblical worldview. It's amazing. Folks, we're getting close. Now, let me just say one thing. We could have a great revival. If you'll study church history, we've had three or four great awakenings. The fourth one's up for debate. We've had three or four great awakenings. It would be just like God to do some great work one more time before the rapture. I don't think you say it's in the Bible, but it would be just like God to do it one more time. And you know what happens? When society's about to collapse and people get shook and Christians rise up and say, we've got the answer, we know about an ark. Amen? We ought to give it a shot, don't you think? So don't think we ought to do all we can do to get people saved? Don't think we ought to do everything we can for world missions? Isn't it exciting in a certain sense that you have a Ukrainian missionary? You are touching what's going on there right now, right out of this church. And you got other missionaries right by that are helping. We're supporting three Ukrainian missionaries out of victory. And we got others like you. You're sitting here right now and you watch the news and you're doing the most important thing we can do for them. Your missionaries are trying to get people saved, get churches established. Amen? Is that a big deal or is that a big deal? Look what you get to be a part of. Amen. All right, here we go. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 38. This is an astounding passage. If I was here for just this passage, and we went through Ezekiel 38 and 39, we could raise a lot of possibilities, and we'd look at several scenarios, and we'd say, generally, this is going to be the direction. And go ahead and put that map up, brother. Ezekiel 38. I tried to get a map that wasn't super detailed. You might dim the lights a little bit, if you could do that. Okay. In chapter 37, you have Israel coming back into the land 
and being restored as a nation, step by step by step by step by step by step. It's a valley of dry bones, and Ezekiel starts prophesying of these scattered bones. It's more than a graveyard. It's scattered bones everywhere. As he starts prophesying to these dead, dried bones, Israel's scattered. It's as though Israel's over with. God's done with them. And the Bible says, oh, no, no, no. As the waters of Noah were, as the waters of Noah were, I am going to regather you. There'll be no more wrath. I'm going to pull you back in to myself. Can you imagine connecting Noah's flood to this? Isn't that amazing? What a, what a book the Bible is. He starts prophesying. The bones start connecting. This bone start going here. This bone start going here. And next thing you know, they stood up. They start getting muscle and, and nerves and tissue and then skin. And all of a sudden, they get a breath. That's when all Israel gets saved at the end of the tribulation period. We are about three-fourths the way through that vision. About three-fourths the way. Israel has come back together as a sovereign nation. She's just not a regenerate people as a whole yet. All Israel shall be saved, Romans chapter 11. All the Jews that survived the tribulation period, a few days after the rapture, they're not saved. They're going to get saved a few days later on the Day of Atonement. And you read Zechariah 12 through 14, they're going to see Christ, and they're going to weep, and they're going to wail, and they're going to realize, we didn't have to go through this for 2,000 years. The Jesus of history was the Jesus of eternity. He was our Messiah. It's an amazing thing. All the Jews that are alive at that time are going to come to a gospel understanding, and a few Gentiles too. Pretty exciting. We'll be in heaven. And we'll come back with Christ at the second coming. Amen? All right, see in red, those areas in red represent, as best we can tell per se, what Ezekiel 38 is talking about. Ezekiel 38 says, there is a northern power north of Israel. It seems to definitely include Turkey. <clears throat> it wasn't called Turkey back then. You got the boundaries of Turkey today. Those were several different peoples. You know the, the boundaries that are drawn on different countries? Well, several hundred years ago, they didn't look like that. Okay? So when you go back and read, and this is what's so amazing. We haven't got time because this is a great study, but Genesis chapter 10 names certain peoples that are recent descendants of Noah and his sons. One of them is Gomer, one of them is Meshach, etc. If, if you're going to understand Bible prophecy, you've got to study Genesis chapter 10. It names several family groups, and they moved around after the flood and began to fill the earth back up. You know the Tower of Babel situation. God forced them to scatter, and these places were named after them. So when Ezekiel gives us the prophecy, he says Gomer and Meshach, etc., and you've got to get a map out, and you've got to look at it. Well, today, and some of them fit, apparently... The northeast corner of Africa, at least three nations, Sudan, Ethiopia, and Libya. You say, what about Egypt? Egypt is extremely interesting. After the second coming, when Christ sets up the millennial kingdom, Egypt comes to the forefront. There's going to be a highway from Egypt to Jerusalem. There's going to be a highway from Jerusalem to, uh, uh, to uh, 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 Assyria. And people will come to worship Christ like they came to see Solomon in days of old. Big highway set up. You can read about it in Isaiah. But these nations over here, Ethiopia, Put, we know is Libya. Some people drag it further over because we're not exactly sure how much land they had. But that area, and notice their relationship. See that little red thing dropping down there, Israel? You know I don't have a pointer here. But that big, long thing sticking out, that's modern-day Turkey. It could very likely include Russia. In fact, Russia may be the ones 
that lead this group coming down. Look at Ezekiel 38. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, remember chapter 37 gives us a placement. In chapter 40 you have the millennial kingdom. You have the temple being rebuilt, etc. So this, let me, because of time, this is probably going to happen. I said probably. Did you hear me say probably? This is probably going to happen just before the rapture or just shortly thereafter or early into the tribulation. I'm going to tell you this and I'll show you again in a minute. After this is over and after God destroys them, they burn the weapons for seven years. Israel burns the weapons for seven years. Isn't it interesting the tribulation period is seven years long? When Christ comes back, there's a fountain of cleansing opened up. He's going to clean the place up. He's not going to let this stockpile of, of uh, weapons burn for seven years. There are probably some nuclear aspects to them. And apparently, it seems like it's very likely it's going to happen sometime around the rapture, just before or just after. We may see this. Some people look at Isaiah 17.1 and see Syria being taken out, Damascus. And then he come down to Psalm 83 and see ten nations around Israel per se, reaching over to another nation over here. And they see them attacking Israel. Israel being victorious. Maybe, maybe not. But this one I'm real sure about, like most people are. The Charles Ryries, the Dwight Pentecost, the Walvers, Schofield. They laughed at Schofield in late 1800s, early 1900s when he said Russia is going to come down in Israel. They laughed at him. They said, what is this stuff? They're not laughing at him now. Son of man, set thy face against Gog. That's probably the name of the leader that brings him down or the demonic spirit that's in control. The land of Magog, where is that? The chief prince of Meshach and Tabal. And prophesy against him, Ezekiel, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach. That word chief prince is also spelled R-O-S-H-R-U-S. They think that that could be speaking of Russia, okay? That's kind of what the word means, Meshach and Tabal. I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, that's modern-day Iran. Guess who is... Guess who our president is trying to get to mediate for us so we can get more oil to make gasoline? Russia to talk with their good friend Iran to talk them into giving us, sell some Iranian oil to us. Sounds like a, sounds like a brilliant scheme, doesn't it? Russia is very close to Iran. Russia's already in Syria. They're controlling Syria right now and have been for quite a while. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, over here. Ethiopia is down there in that red part, okay? You got Sudan, and then you got over here on the left, Libya. Remember Muammar Gaddafi? With them, all of them with shielded him. Gomer, now this is interesting. Gomer, I think the evidence is that it's part of Turkey. Some people make it Germany. Some people make it Eastern Europe. Ancient peoples, don't have time to get into the Sumerians, etc. But anyway, I think it's part of Turkey. And all his bands, other people with him. The house of Togomar, most people feel that's including part of Turkey. Of the north quarters. In other words, you divide the earth into quarters. Jerusalem in the middle. That north quarter from Jerusalem. Russia come on all the way down with Turkey and Syria just above them. And all his bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself. Thou and all thy company are assembled unto thee. 
and be thou a guarder to them. After many days thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that's brought back from the sword, Israel, and is gathered out of many people, Israel, against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, is brought forth out of the nations, Israel, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Israel is not going to see it coming. Do you know there's going to be a false peace set up by the Antichrist after the rapture? They're going to sign this treaty. The Bible says they make a covenant with hell in Isaiah 28. They're being deceived. Not all the Jews are going to go along with it. It says in Daniel 9, he makes a covenant with many. There is a liberal party. There's a non-religious element in Israel that thinks the solution is, is for Jerusalem to be the capital of all the world's religions. The Muslims and the Catholics, that represents Christianity to them, and the Jews, and that'll be the, that'll be the religious, that's when we will have peace. See, deception. All right? And they're dwelling safely, and all of a sudden, look what happens. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. Now, again, don't make too much of this, but just don't be ignorant. Ukraine and Kazakhstan, see that big green thing up there, the top there, Kazakhstan? Okay? Over here, we've got, uh, they include uh, Ukraine in that mixture of what we know as Magog. Okay, years ago, some of you remember the, the USSR, okay, remember the USSR, 17 nations that are a part of it, now they've been shot off Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Moldova, Georgia, those of you that are part of the Global Vision team, my family's, my wife and I, our place is Moldova, they're thinking he's going to go to Moldova and Georgia when he gets done with Ukraine, they're thinking he's trying to put the old Soviet Union back together again, Estonia and Lithuania and, and Latvia are concerned, they're part of NATO, what's NATO going to do? Is NATO going to come together? Is NATO going to stand up against them? Who knows? People will give up a lot just to have peace. What happened in World War II? If we were listening to Chamberlain through the whole thing and Churchill hadn't stepped up, England would be gone today. Amen? You don't need to go home tonight and... <laughs> But you also need to go home tonight and say, oh, there he goes again. You know, there he goes again. Well, one of these days, there he goes again. We're out of here. <laughs> Folks, this was written 2,500 years ago. I don't know if this fits the scenario or not exactly. I don't know. But it could be a precursor, and it could unfold. And if it starts unfolding, you can watch it right before your eyes. And I'll tell you, if it begins to happen... If you're not saved, you better get saved. Because we're, it's going to be very close to that rapture event. And probably after it. Because they're dwelling in peace. Israel thinks they're okay. He said, why are they coming down on horseback and so forth? Well, you know, they're not doing real well right now if they're mechanized. You know one of the problems they got right now? They can't keep enough fuel to those tanks. They thought they were going to walk in and pass out Dairy Queen Sundays and banana splits and they'd be all happy. I don't know what they were thinking. They got a fight on their hands. Somebody said this is Ukraine's 1776 moment. They got men and everything else. I don't know how this is going to come out. Putin may not survive this. But who's the next guy going to be? Now I don't think his name's going to be Gog. Remember Gorbachev? He had that scar on his head. Everybody thought that looked like a map of the world. They said, that's the Roman Empire. Okay, that's, that's getting off track. <laughs> but you know, things were starting to brew back then. 
I don't know what's going to happen. I got a God that knows. Let me tell you a story real quick. I heard J. Frank Norris say, somebody said to him one day, you think you have all the answers. And J. Frank Norris said, I got a book that does. I thought, boy, that's great. How about my first year of Bible school? I was at work one day. I sat down and I was working with these various people. They were, they were you know, quasi-Baptists. I was working with this certain location. And I was kind of the, uh, you know, independent Baptist among them. And I was there because I was learning the uh, film industry. I was, I was interested in maybe Christian films and stuff, not instead of preaching, but part of it. And uh, a lady said to me, she said, oh, young preacher on fire. I wasn't self-righteous. I had, everybody, I had a good friendship with everybody. And when we got married, we had showers and all kinds of stuff there. But one lady said to me, she says, you think you have all the answers, don't you? I thought, lady, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you set that up. She said, you think you have all the answers. I reached back, grabbed my New Testament out of my pocket. I said, no, but I got a book that does. And the whole break room just laughed. It was a good, fun time. I can tell you a lot of things that I'm looking at. This could happen, that could happen, this could happen, that could happen. I can tell you, it's definitely drifting that way. And I don't know how it's going to unfold exactly. But I tell you right now, nobody in the world's got the solution I know somebody I think could have handled it better, but he's not in position right now. And a few other guys that could do the same thing. There's a guy in Florida that probably wouldn't be too bad. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. We'll see. Now, I want you to go to 2 Peter in closing. Oh, let me show you something real quick. I showed you. Go to chapter 39 and just look for a minute. Look at chapter 39. God destroys five, six of these armies coming down. One of the reasons they may be coming down on horseback, etc., because God has already so affected the rapture may be more than just a split-second event. There may be some things that happen at the rapture that destroys our technology for a while. And if the world's in chaos, and here's what I want to say. This one thing I want to make sure I, I tell you tonight, and I know i got to shut down. I gave him about five minutes. It'll be about 810. The America you're in tonight is not the America of 30 or 40 years ago. 50 years ago. Now again, we could, let's have revival, amen? Please don't walk out here and go, oh, walk out here and say, man, we got to go forward as a church, amen? We can't ever shut down again, amen? We got to go forward, amen? Good, half of you. Well, maybe next year we get that. Anyway, it will not be the America you know one minute after the rapture. If we don't know how to stand up right now, what's it going to be like after the rapture? I see an opportunism going on right now. Somebody thought, I can go in and do this. Who's going to stop me? Look at Afghanistan. He said, I can go in here. After the rapture, you might be surprised what somebody tries. Why would he go down there? There's a lot of reason, but God said, I'm going to bring them down. And he's going to destroy five, six of them on the mountains of Israel. And it says in verse 9, look at this. It burnt, takes them seven, seven months to burn the bodies. And it says in chapter 39, verse 9, look what it says there. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and bows and the arrows and the hand staves and the spears. They shall burn them with fire. How long? Why would you keep burning that stuff into the millennial kingdom? Christ is going to clean things up. Read Zechariah 12 through 14. Am I making sense? It just seems like it's going to happen somewhere. A lot of people think it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. Some people think it's going to be happening at the end. Some people think it all the way to Revelation. It's the end time Gog and Magog thing. 
and I could address that. I don't have time tonight, but look at this. In closing, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. And say, we were talking about the flood. Yeah, I know, we still are. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Jesus is the one that brought Noah in. I didn't, I didn't, that, Jesus is the one that brought Noah into prophecy. It wasn't me. Hello? I didn't, it was Jesus that brought Noah into prophecy. Did he, didn't Jesus bring Noah in? Okay, don't say I chased a rabbit. I chased rabbits, I know that. But Jesus is the one that said the second coming of Christ is going to be where people are so preoccupied with the hearing. See, they're, they're making, they're making long-term plans without God. If you knew that the rapture is going to happen tomorrow, you probably wouldn't get married tonight. Well, some of you might, but anyway, okay. But they probably get married tonight. Okay? You wouldn't make long-term plans. They're, act, they're living as though we got forever. And some of them are saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And God said, that's what it's going to be like. Okay? All right, 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at this, verse 3. Knowing first that there shall come in the last days, what? Scoffers walking after their intellectual arguments that we can't answer. Doesn't say that. It's never the problem. The problem is not that we don't have the answers. The problem is that we cannot present a good case. That's not the problem. The problem is right here. Look what it says, walking after their own lust. They don't want to give up their liberty to do what they want to do. They don't want to be accountable. That's our problem. That was Adam and Eve's problem after they sinned. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant. Willingly or ignorant means they know about it, but they don't want to think about it. They're ignoring. Ignorant means ignoring. It means they're stupid. It means they're ignoring. They're ignorant of that. By the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. You can go ahead and raise the lights, brother. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That's Noah. See, they were scoffing at Noah. They were laughing and making fun of Noah. If you read 2 Peter, you'll see that's, that's why he goes into the baptism passage in verse 18 through 22 because Noah withstood great persecution. He was ready to give an answer to every man that asked a reason for him of the hope that was in him. That's the context. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved in the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Quit working. No, I didn't. Okay. The Lord, <laughs> well, I sounded so weak without it. Okay, but anyway, I am weak. Okay, but anyway. Um, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, not willing that any should perish, not willing that any should perish. Waited 969 years for Methuselah to die before he sent the judgment that all should come, that all should come to repentance. Jesus died for everybody. God would be just as excited about your salvation tonight as he was anybody else's. You're just as important to God tonight as anybody. What gives human beings value? God made you. Psalm 139, in your mother's womb, you were made according to a blueprint. God told Jeremiah, before I formed thee, I knew thee. And ordained thee to be a prophet. Jesus is God becoming one of us forever. Does that not give human value, humans value? There's one of us in heaven now, Jesus. He's at the right hand of the Father. You are worth everything God has. And we're not one of God's hobbies. You're going to be with God forever if you're saved. In just a moment, when we close, if you're not saved, get rescued. Get delivered. Get on board the ark. Get in Christ. You're among friends. You couldn't make us happier tonight. The pastor would probably get well.
If he's listening right now, he'd probably say, Hallelujah, I feel better. Amen. Folks, isn't it great to be saved? Nobody in heaven is any better than anybody in hell. None of us deserve it. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, not giving us the punishment we deserve, not requiring due payment. All you have to do is transfer your trust to Jesus Christ to save you from the wrath of God for your sins. Because you realize your sins have hurt people, it's hurt you, it's hurt God, it put Christ on the cross, and you're sorry, and you want God to be your Savior and to be your God. That's all you do. You step up and say, Brother Stewart, I want Christ as my Savior. Amen? And you're saved. You say, how can it be that easy? God did all the work. And it goes on and tells us we're coming to a brand new world. Look what it says in verse Number 10, but the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works there that are in shall be burned up. Everything you own right now is going to get burned up. Well, it's a thousand and seven plus years away, but seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He said, God's going to destroy this, then what? Look at the next verse. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. What am I saying tonight? Noah got to live in the world that was. He got to live in the world that is. And God's going to make this earth all new again. Isaiah 66, Revelation 20, 21, a brand new earth. He's going to burn it with fire and cleanse it, and we're going to live on it forever. In the meantime, we're going to be in the new Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's not too bad. Not too bad of a hotel. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. Have you prepared an ark? Do you have a belief system? Is Jesus Christ your ark? Is he your savior? Have you prepared your heart? Have you prepared a belief system? Have you forsaken all others and want to trust the God you sinned against who became you? In a sense, you walked the streets of Jerusalem in a sense, you died on the cross. In a sense, you were buried. In a sense, you rose from the dead. If you make Jesus your Savior, you go to heaven on his righteousness, and he paid for your sins. That keeps you out of hell. It's a free gift. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And look what it says here. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. We inherited a fallen nature from Adam, therefore we sin. When you trust Christ, you inherit a new nature. The same way you got your old nature, the same way you get your new nature, through Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. You say, I got to get home. I got a busy day. Yeah, but wouldn't it be nice to go home saved? Wouldn't it be nice to go home if the rapture happened tonight or if the price of gas gets to 8 or $9? Wouldn't it be nice to at least be saved and pay $8 for gas? Wouldn't it be nice to know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven? You say, but I, is, is it really that simple? I'm interested, but I don't. If you come forward, I'll stay here as long as you want me to stay here to help you to understand. I would be honored. The students will tell you, I can go longer than an hour, okay? I'd be honored. We got church workers here, my wife, there's workers here, there's all kinds of people will help you. Amen, folks? Amen. Father, we pray tonight, the next few moments, just before we slip out of here, if there be those here tonight that are not sure, or they're definitely sure they're not saved. Lord, don't let them leave tonight. 
Let them feel something down deep inside. I can't do it. You can do it. I pray they'd hear your voice saying, come into the ark. Come. Come into the ark. Come put your trust in what Christ has done and who he is. Be saved forever. Lord, I'm not, I wasn't trying to scare anybody tonight. People are talking about this thing all over the place. I don't know if this is the beginning of this Ezekiel 39 for sure. It shows us how quick things can happen. We don't know. You know. And Lord, we need to have somebody that knows everything in charge of our life. As we begin singing in a few minutes, Lord, I pray that you'll bring people forward to meet me down at the floor and say they want to trust Christ their Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.